minute my friend it has been yeah because just last week something happened that's not happened in i want to say years now and it is just the spontaneous night out yeah yeah like when's the last time you had a spontaneous night out um well i mean other than the last week um maybe like what good two three years ago now yeah so as always i'm joined by lucas say hello lucas Hello, Lucas. I realise that I'm very self-conscious that we don't introduce you. I'm hoping that people clicking on Carl's corner and seeing a picture of my face will think maybe that guy's Carl. Maybe the host is called Carl. <laughs> well, you can never be sure, but my name's Carl, just in case people aren't. But yeah, um, uh, get right into that. We, there was no podcast last week because we were just we were busy. Oh God, yeah. we were busy being in each other's presence, and you know what? Yeah, it was a a case of instead of recording, I was on a train rushing down to get to Smash Bros. And yeah, we could talk about that because just randomly, it was um, uh, I found out there's a place near me doing a Smash Bros tournament, and I wasn't sure about the level of seriousness that was going to go on. But I thought me and Lucas both love some Smash Bros. Mm-hmm. That's what we're going to do anyway when we meet up. So we did plan to meet up just a day later than we ended up doing so. Yeah, yeah, I was already and planning I, on coming down for work. And I just sent you the message of, oh yeah, it's a Smash Bros tournament at a bar near me. If you fancy going, and I wasn't wasn't expecting you to say anything. And then about half an hour later, it's like I'm on the train. <laughs> just let's fucking go <laughs> just I'm on my way I've chucked all my stuff in a bag I'm on my way I'll be there in an hour it's like do not worry Carl I'm here just, for Smash you were yeah and it was just just really nice just to be able to like, you know do something without a month and a half of playing I think the last time we properly met up was when we went to that um, meet up with myself you and a couple of our friends and that was I want to say about eight months in the making yeah, because we're all in different cities across the UK and we all have to make sure we plan exactly what date we're going to all meet up so we can all like get there together and stuff. And we did that multiple times, but then every single time like lockdown happened, or it's like you're not allowed to mix more than one household. Yeah. And it's like, well, you mix it three. And it's like, even though, and that's the thing, even though I knew, I knew all we were going to do is all sit in the same room, eat pizza and play video games. Like, well, I guess we've got to follow the rules. And we did, and we all waited until we were double vaxxed as well, uh, just to yeah. be like extra extra safe with it all. So yeah, someone's clever like that. Myself and Lucas are doubly vaccinated. I think because I mentioned on a podcast or a couple of podcasts ago, I did have COVID. I believe I have some level of immunity to it. Mm-hmm. People aren't really sure how much because every time I ask someone or search for it, it's like it's very unclear. Yeah, yeah. I the know. only thing I know. F- oh, sorry. I know. I was going to say like I as well just had. Not, not, I guess, a, a closing count, but what I thought might have been, because I, I yesterday and today, I was like, oh no, like I feel a bit stuffy. I was like, my, my energy levels are super low, and then I started getting like loads of muscle ache. Oh no. And I was like, oh, but I've taken a test today, and it's come back as saying I haven't got COVID, so like, hopefully it is just something else. It might, that's the thing as well, it's like, just getting a cold or a sniffle is like now, just like, <gasps> The most panic-inducing thing I've experienced in a while. It's crazy. But, uh, yeah, I'm not exactly sure of what my level of immunity is. All I know is from my research, like, you're probably not going to die for at least mm-hmm. a month. It's like it's quite reassuring to know I'm not going to die in one specific way for about <laughs> a month. That is nice to know. And I kind of wish you had that with other things. Like, Joe, if you fell down the stairs, I wish you just had an immunity from falling down the stairs again. Well, just my, my immunity for falling down the stairs is nearly up if you, I only get a month. I know because you fell down the stairs like a month ago. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know like in video games where you take damage and you have like a couple of seconds of invincibility? Just to get yourself back on your feet. 
Yeah, so you don't like you know get wombo combo. They mm-hmm. should have that for life. <laughs> just do like, do like, if, like when one accident befalls you, it's just you get a couple of seconds of invincibility or like super armor, so you can go through it. So you can get up back on your feet, so nothing else happens. Yeah, that'd be great. That would be just get a few iframes for like a day, just to make sure that life doesn't kick you while you're already down. Yeah, like so let's say like I don't know you get kicked out of your house. Let's just say your bank account gets some iframes, so you like know all the bills go out. Yeah. <laughs> just bank account iframes so you don't get any more money taken out. The bank just pays your um your phone bill for you that month. Just we'll help you out, mate. Yeah, it's like oh it's like uh, do you like Sonic when he loses all his rings? So oh, you like, get you a minute to run around and try and pick them back yeah. up. <laughs> this is like not all of them, but like twenty percent of the money you lost like falls on the floor and you can grab it really quickly <laughs> to save some of it. Oh. This is the new. This is the new economy. We should base all uh, transactions on. I don't I'm, I'm think well we down. should be basing any kind of economics on Sonic the Hedgehog. Car. Mate, that is a franchise. Like, the thing is, the economy is a lot like the Sonic franchise in that it never seems to work, but everyone always insists that it does. <laughs> because I have never met anybody who can adequately explain to me how the economy works and why it's a good idea that it works the way it does. Mm-hmm. Just the same way of a Sonic game, where I've never met anybody who can tell me with any, like, give me any satisfactory answer about why the Sonic series is good. They just insist that it is. Yeah, unfortunately, and it's like and, uh, the best Sonic games there are are all just ones where it's like, you know, for example, Smash Bros, where Sonic just gets to beat in them. Like Sega do on Nintendo, Lucas, <laughs> but not anymore. Because there was like what a Nintendo Direct or something last week it was like, oh yeah, we're just putting a bunch of Sega games on Switch. Yeah, and there's um, reviews that have just dropped for a Sega game coming to Switch, Carl. Okay, which one? Uh, it, it's Super Monkey Ball Panhana Mania. Oh, so that's like the game of the year then, sure. Uh, well, well. How, what, what the fuck are you talking about? Lucas, it's Super Monkey Ball. I know, Carl. Apparently. The physics have changed a little bit. Okay. I can, I can live with that as long as it is still as like ridiculously accurate as it used to be. Because that was I the thing about Super is. Monkey Ball. Where it's mm. like you can... Because people don't know Super Monkey Ball is a game where you play as monkeys in tiny little balls and you go around just ridiculous courses that get ever more um, elaborate with difficulty. And the trick is that you don't move your little monkey, you move the stage... In the first two Monkey Ball games, yeah. Or, well, yeah, technically then, three, because Deluxe is also, uh, like, yeah. the, the, the other one, yeah. And it's like those games you have where it's like, you know, ball-bearing animes. Imagine one of them, but instead of a ball-bearing, it is a tiny monkey inside of a ball. Just throwing themselves off the edge of a stage and screaming and hoping they hit a goal. Yeah, and it is incredible because it's just... The physics in it are so pinpoint accurate. Mm-hmm. When you watch speedruns of that game, it is just people catapulting monkeys at a thousand miles an hour directly towards like an ill-defined goal. Yeah, so like I, I did still mind. see that video go out today of somebody who got it early who must be like a monkey ball runner or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're showing off a bunch of these like in a montage of, yes, you can still be ridiculous in monkey ball. However, the changes are that some of the shortcuts either won't work or they've been tweaked a little bit because of the change in the um, the physics. But it is the kind of thing where only that level of player will probably notice it. Yeah, and as well, Lucas, you called them a super monkey ball runner. They should be called super monkey ball rollers. <laughs> they're not speed, <laughs> the speed runners. Rollers. They're, spe- they're speed rollers. 
And that's the thing, oh, when you look at Super Monkey Ball and you realise it is a Sega property, right? Yes, yeah. It's a Sega property. You look at that and go, how did they never have a Sonic game with this physics engine? Um, how did they never have the forethought to go, let's just put a Sonic skin on Super Monkey Ball? Well, you can put Sonic in the Monkey Ball now. Can you? Is he in it? Uh, Sonic and Tails are skins within that game, just like how Hello Kitty. Ne- <laughs> Would you know what they had those, like, Sonic... Um, uh, what are they spinball games where mm-hmm. it's like pinball with Sonic why do they never have a Super Monkey Ball one because they tried so hard to make 3D Sonic games and they always sucked ass mm-hmm. why do they not just like presumably in Sega headquarters like go one door over to the people making Super Monkey Ball how do you make your games feel so good how do you make like because that's the thing if you think if you put just Sonic in those games they'd make perfect sense yeah uh, just put a slap of skin on it and just put and just say Eggman set a challenge for Sonic that's why all the stages look all crazy and wild. Mm-hmm. And it it's just one of those of like, I don't know how they never just even put it as a, a crossover or anything like that. It's baffling to me. And Carl, the one thing yes. I always love though, that you probably do remember, but a lot of people don't. Okay. Is the um Toshihiro Nagoshi, aka the man who made Monkey Ball. He does um, Yakuza games he now. He does Yakuza. Well, he's left Sega now. <laughs> okay. Is he working um, for he's just, else? But... I think he's just gone over to like Net Plus, like a Chinese mobile developer or something for hopefully oh, a man. shit ton of money because he deserves it. Yeah. But yeah, like he went from Super Monkey Ball to the Yakuza games. And it's like, you know what? Both of those franchises are so excellent in their own way. I respect that yeah. one so much. My favourite thing about that is if you go look at um, promo shots of him, like promo shots <laughs> of him working on Super Monkey Ball, he's just like, he's just in a shirt and a tie and he's got like, like the eye eye figures. And then when for Yakuza, it's him sat on a throne with a katana in a leather jacket and sunglasses <laughs> with naked women. And it's like, yeah! He truly embraced the Yakuza franchise. The best bit is as well, I think if you swap those two images around, I still would believe that the Yakuza series had the one with all the I.I. figures around. Because like, (laughs) I.I. and all the Super Monkey Ball characters are in Yakuza as like little collectibles you can find in the world. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. You can find them in like the the games that you can play in that world. And I would think it'd be great if they just put a, um, uh, a really dark serious skin over Super Monkey Ball. Kiryu's in it, isn't it? Kiryu's yeah. in that game. Just put it, instead of in Crazy Fantastical Worlds, just put it in the alleys of Camarocho. You just go around. Because like, that's the thing, I can imagine if like Kiryu saw that, but I'm down. And then Majima <laughs> starts chasing him in a slightly larger ball and his ball's got a knife on it. <laughs> that's fucking incredible. So it's getting good reviews, yes? Um. So right now it's like, um, opened up with a 77 on open critic with some people giving it you know like top scores and going down to ig and giving it a six i can only imagine as well like if you like super monkey ball this is like yeah it's more of the same it's i'm, more I'm of hoping that, thing that, that that's want. all it is is the people giving it the nine and ten out of ten it's just i fucking love monkey ball and this is hd monkey ball yeah and the people giving it six out of tens like well I'm not very good at it, so it's really tedious and boring. Also, there's no replayability. It's like the replayability is replaying those stages till you get, till you're going through it in like one second. Till you are like light speed dashing your monkey ball across the stage. And it's got one of the highest skill ceilings I've ever seen in a game. I, I've never, it, there's nothing like it. I, there's, there's always a faster way to throw your monkey ball into a goal. 
And we can talk about that because like, speedrunning is pretty big. Like, it used to be very niche, but I think it's like AGDQ and SGDQ. So um, Awesome Games Done Quick and Summer Games Done Quick, for people who don't know. Mm-hmm. They've really brought it to the forefront. There's a couple of big YouTubers who like chronicle the history of speedruns. Yeah. Um, who, that get quite a lot of views. I think like Carl Jobst and like Summon in Salt. There's another one I'm probably forgetting that people will be yelling at me about on Twitter. Um, but I've also seen quite a few YouTubers get big of you know, making a 20-minute compilation of their 24-hour speedrunning streams and just putting the, yeah. the highlights in as a YouTube video. Yeah, it's like just speedrunning, it's like it's more um, uh, well-established in like the sphere of gaming now. It's like it's no longer a niche thing. Admittedly, it's still niche within gaming, but it's like you know, it's more been brought to the forefront. And I forgot where I was going with this now. What was I going to say? Oh yeah, okay. And, and in those in, in those games, there was a, there's a lot of games that get played. And in the world of speedruns, there's a lot of games that get played. And like you said, the skill ceiling in Monkey Ball is infinite. It never stops going up. There is no mm. limit to how good people can be at Monkey Ball. And I think it's really great that if you go look at speedruns, the two games where there is just like absolutely just no limit to the amount of things people can do and that the people playing it are playing like beyond what you'd even think like a robot can do is Super Monkey Ball and Tetris. Oh, Tetris. Oh. So, Lucas, do you want to describe what speedrunning Tetris looks like to people who maybe aren't familiar with what speedrun Tetris looks like? Because you might think, how the hell do you play Tetris very fast? The answer is, Lucas, what? Um, essentially, the people know the game so well that they will do it, like, blindfolded with invisible blocks and, like, know what is coming next to that like yeah. degree where... But the moment the block enters the top of the screen... It's basically at the bottom because they're that good at what they do. It's almost yeah. instant Tetris. Yeah, um, and I do believe at one point you do get invisible, instant falling Tetris blocks, and you just have to know where that block goes based on the preview that you get like half a second to see. Whilst yeah, because you get a preview bullshit. of the next block, but you have to configure your current block while looking at the preview of your next one, and it's all happening on an instant basis. And you just have to know from just like thousands of hours of muscle memory that you are placing those invisible blocks in the right place. And it reminds me a little bit of a great video I saw of this is how you train kids to basically become computers. Mm. And what it is is, in I think it's in China, they still use the abacus. The abacus is still very popular. Um, And you can learn how to use an abacus. And they have abacus classes. And they have kids who use abacuses. Because if you've got an abacus, you can basically multiply anything. Essentially, you can do any basic mathematical, no matter how big the numbers are. Right, yeah. And what they do is, the kids get so good at using an abacus that eventually they don't need it anymore. And I'm shit you not, Lucas. They will do the motion for using an abacus without an abacus there and can work out like ridiculous multiplications. So they're using an invisible abacus. Wow. Okay, yeah. Because, the, because they've got that much muscle memory for how to do every single one. So they just do the motion for using an abacus without one there. And then that essentially just means that they can do a really complex things very easily. Yeah, and they can, like, in some cases, seconds. Yeah, because and an they... abacus is way bigger and clunkier than a calculator, but you can do something a lot easier. And also there's that tactile feedback. And once you've got the muscle memory built in through thousands and thousands of like, you know, concerted hours of training, mm-hmm. you can do it in your mind. And there's like videos out there of kids using invisible abacuses to solve problems quicker than computers can. Yeah. And it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> An invisible abacus. It's just because they just imagine that it's in their hands. And once they can imagine it, they can work it. It's like, oh my God. 
And then what you do is you take those children and replace your calculator in your accountant's office with the child. Well, they're probably more accurate. Well, that's like you just make them sit down and it's just, child, tell me this calculation. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Well, the idea that they can get so good at using this device, they can just imagine that they have it. Mm-hmm. Because all they do have to do in their head is picture that it's there. Yeah, that's some that's, crazy incre- shit. that's incredible. Well, you see, it sounds like musicians and stuff. Didn't it? It's that great bit in France where um, Phoebe and Mike, like perfect Paul Rudd, mm. he says, "Oh, I'm a musician." And she goes, "Okay, show me." And he goes, oh, "I haven't got a piano, so that wouldn't stop a real musician." <laughs> oh, yeah. He pretends to play, and she's like, "Oh my god, you're really good." <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, it's such a good, it's such a good bit. Mm-hmm. Oh, like playing an invisible piano, and I love that. Just the idea that if you practice something enough, you can do it without having the thing physically there. And that's mm-hmm. basically, that's a joke in South Park, isn't it? With like the Guitar Hero episode. Mm, yeah, yeah. Where the kid's like, oh, I'm so good at Guitar Hero, I can play Guitar Hero acoustically. <laughs> <laughs> and did you see that they're still pushing Rocksmith? They still try to push that shit. Um, yeah, and to anyone that doesn't know, that is essentially they took... Guitar Hero to a level of we are going to give you a full guitar and try to teach you guitar with this, you know, software essentially. Which is basically missing the entire point of Guitar Hero. The point of Guitar Hero is, and Rock Band by extension, mm-hmm. is not that I want to learn to play guitar. Because that was always the thing that you'd hear, isn't it, from our souls? Of like, well, why don't you just learn to pick up a real guitar? Because, because a real guitar does not have five buttons. A real guitar does not take half an hour to learn. Yeah. Whereas, you know, a Guitar Hero controller, realistically, you get your hands on it for five minutes and you can play a game. You you yeah. play that that game for a few hours and you can start like upping the difficulty and doing more complex things, whereas that will not really occur on an actual guitar for like a lot, you know, not the yeah, same time frame. It's like I'm not playing Guitar Hero because I want to be a rock star. I think that I'm going to be a rock star. It's just a fun way to while away an afternoon. And to give yourself a small glimpse of that lifestyle instead of like needing to commit hundreds of hours to learn an instrument. Yeah, and I want to see people like that with like you know, Dance Dance Revolution and Step Mania and stuff. Because can you imagine if you went onto a dance floor and someone busted out like a really difficult Dance Dance Revolution routine? <laughs> like I would be like, I would be that's like square dancing. That's like that's square dancing squared. I can't even comprehend the amount of foot movements that happen when people are like oh, super God, intense yeah. DDR. See, you could do the same as well with the likes of Just Dance. But instead of Just Dance where you're doing the full body um, mm. thing on a camera like the... Um, ooh, what's the, the bad Xbox thing called? Connect. Connect, that's the one. It's so bad I couldn't remember the name of it. Yeah. But just busting out the dance moves as if you're playing on the Wii still and you only need oh, to man. move one arm. So it's like they've got to guess what dance you're doing just with the one arm. Now, have you ever seen someone play Dance Dance Revolution on the Wii and not get into I've seen someone play it and they were going for a high score and they just did it sat down. Because <laughs> they only need to move the one arm. It's like, oh, come on, get into it. But it's it so lame. the entire premise of those games. It's like I've I, the one thing I hate about video games is people take them way too seriously. Mm-hmm. And just seeing someone, like, I think when we were playing Guitar Hero once, there was a guy who, like, um, uh, we, not Guitar Hero, it was Rock Band, and they had a full setup. And while I was there, like, I did, like, the whammy bar thing where you, like, you lift up the guitar all the way in there, like, Wee! Yeah, I yeah. did that. 
And the guy's like, stop doing that, you're missing notes. I'm trying to have fucking fun. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> oh, dear. It's like if I wanted to get yelled at for not fingering something properly, I'd go home. Mm-hmm. That's the joke someone's going to make. Anyway. <laughs> I, I Speaking just, of people. I, I never get the idea, though, of someone sitting there going, man, look at Carl having an absolute blast pretending to play some guitar on, like, Guitar Hero or Rock Band. I need to go and tell him that he's missing notes. Yeah, I'm sure that's going to bother him. It's just people taking stuff too seriously always ruins it for everybody else. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lucas, have you ever experienced that? Because we experienced it to a degree last week when we went to play some Smash Bros. And to be fair, we did invite that ourselves because we did not um, uh, like do any um, uh, research or anything beforehand. So we weren't sure of the level of um, uh, seriousness that was going to take place there. Mm-hmm. And people there, like... I want to say there was a dude there who was like wave dashing on a switch. Oh uh, right, yeah, yeah. There was like there were people there and they'd been practicing clearly when we walked in, like you know about what, twenty minutes before it started, and grabbed a beer immediately. There were people who clearly been there all day practicing. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think we were like the only two people that that went there to just have a drink and play a bit of Smash Bros. Yeah, and we didn't even take controls or anything like that, did we? Like you didn't bring a controls, and we thought there'd be some here. Well, I yeah, because I, I just thought it was playing Smash. I didn't realize it was an actual tournament. Otherwise, I would have brought my GameCube pad. And but, that's our bad on that one. But it's a it good is jumping yeah. off point to discuss like when what's the most serious you've ever seen someone take a video game. Um, because you must have experienced it. Like you must have seen like a, a FIFA controller snap. Oh, loads of them, loads of them. But I don't think that's people taking the game too seriously. I think that's just people who can't handle losing very well. Which is... It's the same thing. It's a similar kind of thing, but I don't necessarily think that they're there going, well, I am seriously the best person at FIFA and nobody can beat me. They're just fucking sore losers. And there is something incredibly hilarious and satisfying about seeing a sore loser lose really, really hard. Yeah. There's just something incredibly like the schadenfreude of watching somebody who's very poor at losing just lose, and then everybody around's like, <laughs> just into the hand. And I think I, it's safe to say that the most serious players I've ever encountered were, you know, only a few years back when I decided to dip my nose into melee a little bit. And yeah, I can't imagine that was a overly fun experience because people don't know like the Super Smash Bros. Melee um, it's a game from about 15 years ago now uh, 20 years ago 20 years ago so like two decades old and people still play it and the level of seriousness that people take when approaching playing Smash Bros. is so much so that there are players out there who will only play Smash Bros. on um, one uh, original hardware which you know makes sense but um, they will specifically track down original controllers that have a very specific um, uh, what's the word now? Not bug, but like malfunction in them. Mm, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, have you heard about this? There's a, there's a subset of original GameCube controllers with a very specific problem with them that allows you to do a technique because, like, some part of it is not wired exactly correctly. Yeah, and there's apparently some people that will actually modify your GameCube pad if you send it to them and will, you know. For a price, obviously, they'll take a new GameCube pad and make it work like the old defected ones. 
and that's it defective. So they will retroactively add this defect, which you can take advantage of um, at the absolute highest levels of play. And I don't think anything sums up how ridiculously serious they're taking that shit then. They will only play on a specifically broken controller. Mm-hmm. And it's really funny to me as well, because like, uh, there is a push to have like video games recognized um, like, you know, um, as a sport. And yeah, pushing, the like, esports you know, scene has obviously grown quite a lot. Or potentially, like, you know, put it at the Olympics or something like that. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that cracks me up is that at the Olympics, um, every step possible is taken to make sure that all the athletes are on a completely level playing field. And that's one of the reasons I don't think we'll ever see video games as a sport because so many people need their specific way of playing. Nobody would ever enter a fighting tournament without their GameCube pad or their modded fight pad or whatever it is. Nobody would be willing to go in and all be on equal footing on a standard controller. Yeah, and you can make the argument of like, well, athletes will wear their own shoes. Like shoes that, right, you know, in some cases are heavily modified um, to specifically fit them. Mm-hmm. And you can argue, like, a controller that I've configured for me is that same way. But that controller can, in some cases, give you either an advantage or, uh, sorry, not, a, not an, an advantage that is unfair because the advantage it gives you is something that is not afforded to other people playing, even of an equal skill level. And I can't I imagine, imagine that with- what it would be like in the example of Super Smash Bros. Melee, where, as we said, there's got a very specific defect to the controller that will give you a slight advantage and i guess you would circumstances the the only way to do it would be that somebody very knowledgeable of that defect would have to check every single gamepad to make sure they were legit yeah and i can't think of a real world parallel for that because there is one like how would you like i'm thinking like no maybe a javelin or something like what can you even think of a parallel for like you know a real world sport that would where you could have a potential unfair advantage over a competitor. Not necessarily. Yeah, and that's why it's so strange. And that's why I don't think um, video games become a sport. Because, as you said, there's no fucking way any player is going to want to walk in like, okay, you've got to use stock controllers. Um, Everyone has to use stock controllers. Everyone has to use like stock. I I was going to say, I guess one, one equivalent might be that in cycling, they're allowed, each team is allowed their own bike, right? Yes. Well, they have to conform to a very specific set of standards. However, I believe um, Great Britain won a lot of cycling medals in like London 2012 because they had A, trained so so well, but B, they mm-hmm. had such specifically just incredibly um, well-done bikes that were just yeah. slightly better in every way. Yeah, there's a, a bunch of ways you can cheat that system like you can put like not cheat like put your thumb on the scale to give yourself an advantage and that's like no that is part of sport part of sport is what are the rules say i can do how close can i get to breaking those rules without technically breaking them Mm -hmm. and um, there's a couple of great examples from the world of sport with that like i said with cycling and all bikes have to have a very specific configuration which can be altered like you know to fit the comfort and um, uh, specifications of the athlete using them I think in the case of the Britain bikes, it was like they basically took off all the handles. Oh, really? Like those bikes don't have handles; they just have like you know, the the um, uh, the elbow rests. Mm. If you've seen bikes like that, because like once you're in that position, the handles are just adding extra weight and drag. You don't need them, so they just took handles off. And like in some ways, like take seats and stuff off like that. You don't need it. 
Yeah, and I believe that's what they said. That I think it was like the the team coach for the cyclists just said they wanted to make thousands of minute minute changes, like zero point zero zero one percent difference mm. that will all add up to a little bit of a change. Yes, and it's that thing of like um, you see it in a lot of sports where um, uh, like uh, motorsports especially where they will spend just thousands of hours like figuring out a way to like you know, shave off fractions of grams. Yes, yeah. I'm just looking at see if I can find like the specific thing they did. Oh right, okay, oh my yeah. god, oh my god, I found. Was there such a thing known as mechanical doping? Mechanical doping. That's the thing, doping, putting drugs inside your system. But it says here, me- mechanical doping, a.k.a. motor doping, is in competitive cycling terminology is a method of cheating using a hidden motor. That's amazing. What? Uh, how would you hide that? I don't know. He says, always find out. History. One of the first allegations of mechanical doping goes back to the 2010 Tour of Flanders when Fabian Cancerella, that's a name. His name's got cancel right in it. Uh, <laughs> attacked Tom Boone on a steep part of uh, a hill. If people don't know, attacking in cycling is when you try and take someone over. It's not like you physically hit him with a stick. Which would be great. the head with the bike. What's that game in, like, what's that bike game where you hit him with a chain? Remember that one? No. Do you not remember, there's like an arcade bike game where you've got like, you, you fight on a bike? Nope. Either way, it says here, it led into allegations of an electric motor hidden inside his bike. Four years later, the issue was raised again when um, uh, Ryder, oh my god, the guy's name is Ryder. <laughs> That's amazing. Was the subject of allegations during the 2014 Vuelta a España. Um, he crashed on stage seven of the race and video footage crashed showed his bicycle's rear wheel continued to spin after it had fallen off the road. Question, and this led to a number of um, uh, sports outlets questioning whether the bike contained a motor. Um, it could have, although it was suggested that um, uh, the bike's movements were simply due to it being sliding down the gradient. Public pressure led to the race commissaries examining the bikes of both men on the team, and no motors were found. This is the thing, right? They they keep talking about this. Like the first two stories, are like people accusing someone of having a motor and then no well, motor was yeah, found. Yeah, no, nothing was actually different. It says, in 2016, almost six years after initial allegations of a pro cyclist doping mechanically, the first confirmed use of mechanical doping in the sport was discovered at the 2016 UCI Cyclocross World Championships, when one of the bikes of Belgian cyclist Femke van den Dreisch was found to have a secret motor inside. That's amazing. I really hope it's just... And he's the only guy to have ever been sanctioned for it, so there's only one person in history... So one person heard about the allegations being made and went, that's a good idea. I might try to get away with that. That's amazing though, isn't it? There's so many like things you can do in sport. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I, I did think of one thing. You know when you said just getting as close to breaking the rules as possible without doing so? Yes. Okay. Weird tangent that came back to me here. Okay. But I was recently watching a lot of BattleBots on Netflix. BattleBots is amazing. I fucking... BattleBots and uh, Robot Wars and everything like that is incredible. Yeah, yeah. And um, there was one guy that noticed the rules had been changed for that year's BattleBots. I love when people notice shit like this. And it was like... What what was the rule we noticed? So the rule that he noticed was that... They no longer ban entanglements, which is um, like 
intentionally causing like your opponent's like wheels or motor to get stuck in something yes yeah yeah so what they did was they were up against somebody who had a giant spinning rotor blade Mm -hmm. and they were like oh we've got a present for you they stuck the present on the front of their bot where they were gonna get hit okay the match starts this rotor blade hits the box and a net pops out and just tangles the entire (laughs) thing like a literal like net a giant net yeah that is incredible. Oh, so f- I love when people read the rules and do shit like that. But then, Carl, but then they kicked off about it. They stopped the match and said that because it's in honour of the old rules, you should have to have a rematch. That's like a fuck off. It's no. like, but you removed it from the rules. It's like, yeah, but it's always been a rule in the past. It's like, well, it's not anymore. Fuck you, we win. Yeah, and I got really mad because I was like, look, he's being an asshole and it's a real oh, yeah. dick move. But he should still win because they've actively taken it out of the rules. It's not there anymore. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I, we follow the rules. Like, all I'd say is point, show me the rule book and show me where in the rule book this is not allowed. Because mm-hmm. I'll show you in the rule book where stopping a match um, uh, results in a forfeit. <laughs> that piece, I hate when, like, speaking of Smash Bros, that happened. Um, uh, something similar to that actually happened. Where I believe me and you have watched it. We were watching like a compilation. We were drunk once where there's oh, okay. a match where um, a guy's controller didn't work. Oh yeah. And generally in um, fighting games, um, most if your controller does not work, that's on you. Your opponent, if they wanted to, can walk up and just kick you until you die. Yeah. Like your character, they can walk up. They are fully within their rights to just push your character off the edge and win. Mm-hmm. Totally. Because the um, generally the rule is like you have like a minute or so before a match starts to test your controller and change your button layout to like, you know, what you find most comfortable. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do that, uh, that's on you. But there are generally gentlemen's rules in a lot of these tournaments of if your opponent, because that's the thing, the onus is usually placing your opponent off. Like if there's a mistake and your opponent's like, fine, we can restart the match and you can fix it. That's okay. Yeah. Like most tournaments will let you do that. And there was one where a guy's controller did not work and his opponent noticed this, and rather than just winning the match by pushing him off the edge three times, paused the game so he could plug his controller in properly, or get a new one or something like that, and then, when the game restarted, the guy whose controller had broken said, well, he paused the game, which means he's got a forfeit this round. Because you're not allowed to pause the match. It's like, but he paused the match so that you could have a fight in chance. And then, the thing is, that clip is amazing, because the entire crowd is booing that guy, and the tournament organizer himself is like, just fucking play the match. Yeah. Just play the match. And he's like, well, no, in the rules, he's got a forfeit, I win. <laughs> and that's the thing, like, you respect it to a degree, but that's a dick move. That that's is. That's one case where... And you know what? If nothing else, you learn, never ever fucking trust that guy or do anything for them again. Oh, yeah. Because like what you, do. you might have won yeah. one match, but you've just soured your entire reputation to everybody watching. Oh, yeah, you have. But at the same time, in pref- like, that's one of, maybe that's one of the reasons why um, video games could be a sport, because in sport, it doesn't matter. A win's a win. Mm-hmm. Because that's what probably would happen in um, a professional setting. Oh, sorry, like um, a competitive setting. Yeah, yeah. Like you just said, like in that BattleBots one. And that's, again, that pisses me off. Like, if you're going to put it as a formalized competition and then not follow the rules you set out, mm-hmm. fuck you. Like, cause I'm a firm believer in the idea of gentlemen's rules. And if people don't know what gentlemen's rules are, just like, if both parties agree to something, um, that is technically against the rules. Like, you, that supersedes it. Yes, yeah. 
Like um, there's a lot of gentlemen's rules in a lot of sports. Like football, it's uh, generally agreed that um, if a player is injured, um, you kick the ball out of play, and then whoever gets the ball and um, will throw it back to the team um, that had the ball. If it's if it's not their ball um, uh, prior to the injury taking place, but there is no rule that says you have to do that. It's just something people do to be you know because uh, you know for the sake of like sportsmanship. Yeah. However, it's one of those things of. In a football match, for example, if a player is injured and you carry on playing, or if the ball goes to you because your player got injured and you don't kick the ball back, you do have, you know, twenty to 80,000 people booing your ass off. Yeah, and that's the thing, like, uh, the only way play can be stopped is by the referee. So the, you have had examples in the past of a player being injured and just someone running up and scoring a goal. Yeah. Because the referee's technically not blown the whistle yet. And in football, referee gets the final say. Mm-hmm. And it's that thing of like, yeah, where do you draw that line? Because like, sportsmanship should matter in those situations. But at the same time, if you've got money on the line. And especially when it comes to football. And, as, you know, obviously soccer, like English football, whatever you want to call it. The amount of people that drop to the floor just to stop playing stuff. I kind of... Yeah. If it's not an obvious, horrible injury, I kind of respect the guy to be like, no, I've got a chance to score. Yeah, and the referee's not like, told us to stop playing yet, so I want to keep going. I, I don't know which side of the fence I fall on this issue because like, if that happened to me, I'd be pissed off. But when it does happen, when you see it, it does make for interesting viewing. Yeah, yeah. Like, when somebody breaks like you know, the rules, quote-unquote, like in that BattleBox match, mm-hmm. where you've got those people getting really sorted, like, that's against the rules. No, it's not. There's nothing in the rules that didn't say I could, that said I can't do this. And so, what was the um, fallout to that then? Did the team with the net did they lose? So the team with the net ended up having a rematch to decide the, the match, and then they lost. That's fucking bullshit. Or I believe they lost. That's horseshit. Either way, they didn't make it very far in the competition. But yeah, it was just one of those things of. You know what? They were very, very confident that it wasn't in the rule book. And next thing you know, it's like, well, in honor of the fact that it was always a rule, they're having a rematch. It's like, well, no, because no, that means that they didn't even want to say it on the show because they know how bad that is. Like, all you're saying there is, it's just like, we're going to, if you get salty enough and throw a big enough hissy fit, we'll give you away, mm-hmm. which is probably not what you want to teach people in formalized competition. No. Man, that, that actually makes, that's making me angry, that. Because those people who were smart enough to read the rules and figure that out, they deserve that win. Yep. I do that bit in the office where it's like, Dwight gets run over by, Andy runs Dwight over with his car. It's like, oh, yeah. a Prius is silent under five miles an hour, he deserves the win. <laughs> that's how I feel about this. If you're smart enough to figure something like that out, mm-hmm. and you figure something out that is technically not against the rule, but you can still do it, put that, you, you deserve to exploit that loophole for your own game. Yeah, you do. It's like discovering a new tactic. That's not against the rules yet. And, you know, it's it would be completely different if this was trying to get a, a legal loophole to get you out of some shit or something. But when it's finding a loophole in the rules to battle bots to get an advantage over your opponent, yeah. like, fucking let them do it. Well, loopholes, like, the reason that they're so interesting when they're exploited is because they highlight, you know, mistakes in the rules. And the, my thinking towards it is, is like, the first person to do it gets away with it. But you use that as a case study of like, this is why we're putting the new rules in place because we don't want something like this to happen again. Yeah, because that's what it should have been is 
you used the net, that's a dick move. We'll allow you the victory this time, but we're going to add it back in the rules for next match. Like because cl because clearly it is an issue if this is something that's allowed to continue. Mm -hmm. And there's so many like examples from history of people abusing loopholes like that. It's like the um, there's a famous one about the game show. I think Price is Right. I'm going to double check the details on this. It's a very very famous one. So Price is Right. Are you going to talk about the method of just betting one dollar above your opponent? No, 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 there's another one. Uh, oh, okay. But, but, but. Okay, here we go. So, dun, dun, dun. Uh, here it is. So, Terry Kinnis and his wife Linda were fans of the show, and the price is right. And unlike most of the potential contestants, they had a fairly complex plan in place if they managed to get on the show. So, um, what they noticed that many of the games used the same products. Contestants had to guess the price. And since the products were the same throughout the years, the price has stayed within a highly predictable range. Uh. Granted, guessing the exact price had been done before, so if all that's all they did, this would be much of a story. They took it to the next level, though. They watched every single episode and memorized the prices. They made note cards. They studied. They didn't simply intend to get on the show. They wanted to win. And they understood how patterns could help them play more effectively. The entire plan hinged on a quick preliminary bit of luck. Terry had to make it to contestants' row, which meant his name had to be pulled randomly by a show's producer. Before the show, he filled out his registration card, dropped in the collection bin, and waited at home. Sure enough, the producer called his name. And when Terry got called down to contestants' row, he was ready. Host Drew Carey asked Terry to bid on a green egg smoker. So Terry obliged and nailed the price with a perfect bid of $1,775. For what, sorry? $1,775. And it's a, um, a green egg smoker, so a grill. Oh, right. Okay, I just thought... I heard the words, like, egg smoker, and I thought it was just a small little egg cooker or something. It's like, hang on, $1,700? What's going on here? Yeah, so what they did is they just memorised the price. Because they realised, like, they're going to keep putting the same price on, because obviously a lot of people don't know about prices, right, and shows of that ilk. They're generally sponsored by companies who want their... And they're paying to have their product just front and centre in an episode and see people celebrate and cheer when they win them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they just watched every single episode and learned the price of everyone and just came on and just did like 10 perfect guesses in a row. <laughs> and like they don't show that episode anymore because it's just completely unfair that there's just a dude who just wins everything. So then that How I Met Your Mother episode is way more accurate than you'd actually think. Yes, that's basically it. And then there's another one, which is not the show I was getting a little mixed up here because there's two stories that are quite similar, but they're about different game shows. Okay. There's another show called Press Your Luck. And there is a guy called Michael Larson who figured out... Because Press Your Luck, basically, it's a very similar game show format you've probably seen a lot before. It's a, you press a button um, with like some flashing boxes on screen. And when you press a button, it highlights your, your win or what your prize is for that day. Right. And um, he was watching an episode at home, I think, when he was, like, unemployed. Mm. And he figured out, hang on, there's a set pattern to this. There's only, like, four or five patterns. I bet I could figure this out. So would you like to learn about how Michael Larson just fucked up Press Your Luck? Yeah, let's go for it. So I'm on Wikipedia. So Luke is bringing back Wiki Weekends. The origins of Wiki Weekends. So <laughs> Paul Michael Larson was a contestant on the American television show Press Your Luck in 1984. Larson is notable for winning $110,000, equivalent to about three uh, one quarter of a million dollars in 2020, in cash and prizes at the time, the largest one-day total ever won on a game show. Oh, my God. So here we go. So, preparations. Michael Larson began recording episodes of Press Your Luck shortly after its premiere on CBS. In September of 1982, with his VCR in hand while watching, he noticed the randomizer that moved the light indicator around the 18-square big board 
had only five patterns. Larson began memorizing these patterns, increasingly confident he could predict when and where the randomizer would land. As he locked in the patterns, he began playing along with the big board to test his hypothesis, pausing his VHS tape at various intervals. Moreover, Larson discovered that the fourth and eight squares from number one in the top left corner and then clockwise around the board always contained, uh, always contained cash and never a whammy. A bandit-like cartoon character that when landed on would result in resetting the player's score to zero, accompanied by an on-screen animation that showed the whammy taking the player's earnings. Um, he also learned that square number four always contained the top dollar values and that in second round, contestants were awarded an additional spin if landing on those spots. This proved crucial to Larson's theory as he could retain control of the board in a second round as long as he wished if he kept following patterns. Oh my God. So essentially... Once you'd figured out the pattern, you could theoretically play forever and just keep winning more money over and over again without ever risking losing it because you know where the prize is. Oh, my God. Uh, so, in May 1984, he used the last of his savings to fly to LA to audition for Press Your Luck. Contestant supervisor Bobby Edwards was suspicious of Larson's motives when he interviewed him on May 19th and unwilling to allow him on the show. But executive producer Bill Carruthers viewed Larson's claim to be a small-town plebeian, desperately in, need, uh, desperately in need of a chance to win some money, as a good sob story for the show and overruled Edwards. <laughs> Carruthers would later regret this move. <laughs> it's like, oh, hindsight is twenty twenty. God. Yeah. While waiting in the green room, Larson met Ed Long, a Baptist minister, booked for the third episode of a the session. They struck up a conversation. Long recalled that Larson asked how many times he'd seen the show. When Long replied he'd only seen it once, Larson responded by looking at him as if he was from another planet. Larson told Long, I really don't hope we have to play each other before leaving the green room. Oh. Oh, the game. Larson showed up to his taping wearing a cheap suit that he purchased at a local thrift store. Um, host Peter Tamarkin introduced the three players, starting with a recap of Long's winnings from the previous episode and a joke about a question Long missed earlier in the episode. Tamarkin then introduced Larson and asked him what he did for a living. Larson mentioned driving an ice cream truck and that he was hoping to win enough money to retire from it. And Tamarkin asked if he brought the truck with him um, as they had orders for ice cream. Tamarkin then asked Larson if he would still eat ice cream if he retired from the truck and Larson claimed that he had OD'd on it. Oh my God. Larson then uh, jokingly but ironically hoped Larson would not OD on money. Wow. <laughs> so Lucas, would you like to hear how Larson fucked this game? Oh, yeah. And I've just got a gif of, of Pressure Luck to understand what it is. And I can just see this, I, I presume, Larson just over yeah. and over again when I search for it. Like, this is the man. Yeah. As customary, the game began with the first two rounds, which contestants answered questions to earn spins for the big board. A correct buzzing answers three, um, answer earned three spins, while a correct multiple choice answer earned one spin. Larson's memorization of the patterns could not help him here, and he struggled, on, he struggled early. On the second question the host asked, you probably got President Franklin D. Roosevelt in your pocket or purse right now. Which is his likeness on the head side? Um, Larson buzzed at this point and correctly answered the $50 bill, which has a portrait of... Um, no, no, he buzzed at this point and answered the $50 bill, which has a portrait of um, Ulysses S. Grant. After which, to mark and finish the question, of what American coin? With the answer being a dime, the other choice being a nickel. He did not buzz in again, answering the last two questions multiple choice and finishing with three spins. Way behind Long's four and the other contestants' ten. With the fewest spins, Larson went first on his first spin. He hit a whammy. However, on his next two, he hit a four square for $1,200 and finished the round with $2,500. Um, Long and the other contestant finished 
the round without a whammy and won $4,000 and $4,600 respectively, putting Larson in last place. So Lucas, he started, he was, he was losing. Yeah, like yeah. at this point you'd be sitting there rubbing your hands together going, we called this dickhead on his bluff. We got this last and buzzed incorrectly for two of the four questions and earned a total of seven spins in the second question round ahead of um, each contestant's three and four, uh, two. Since he was in third place, he got to play first on the big board and went to his pattern play, aiming for squares four and eight. Larson quickly bumped his total over $10,000. Early on, his pattern play was irregular as he stopped four times on squares that did not follow his pattern. A trip to Kwai worth $1,600 on square seven and $700 in one spin. Pick a corner in square six where he was given the choice of $2,200 in square one, $2,000 in square 10 or $1,500 in one spin on square 15. He chose the $2,200 and won a sailboat on the next turn. After the <laughs> sailboat, Larson's pattern play became more accurate as he hit his target squares each time he spun. So Markham was increasingly astounded that Larson was still spinning, despite having not seen a whammy for so long. Larson continued to press on, pressing more and more milestone markers without losing any of his remaining four spins. Keep in mind, he still had four spins left. (laughs) (sighs) The episode was taped in two parts because Larson kept winning. As he passed 40,000, 50,000 and finally 60,000 mark, Tamarkin virtually begged Larson to stop more than once fearing he would hit a whammy. Larson finally decided to stop spinning once he reached $100,000. Jesus. He had made 40 spins on the board without hitting a whammy, of which 37 were for cash. (laughs) After he announced he was passing his four remaining spins, he raised his arms in triumph and received a standing ovation. (laughs) That's the thing. Walking off like a fucking champion. And I respect as well. That he could have pushed it so much further. Oh, yeah. The only reason he stopped doing it is he said he was getting fatigued. Mm. And he was scared. If he got a whammy, he'd lose all 100,000. Mm-hmm. By rule, his spins went to the other contestants, and she had the next highest money total. However, since she was the leader after the first round, she had to wait to play. Who earned, uh, after the other player, who earned two spins on his first two spins, a bewildered long hit a whammy on his first turn and lost all his money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the other contestant hit $5,000 and then got a whammy. Oh. So they got nothing. Oh. And that's oh. the thing. The rule set that they made up is just... Obviously, they never expected somebody to memorize the patterns, but this guy did it and could have theoretically gone on to get like a million if he did, if he did it right. Yeah, none of like, So they said that after the other contestant failed, his their spins went to him. Mm. Um, he was visibly upset about this, but but still went on the board. So he picked up where he left off following his patterns. Um, so he won uh, a trip to the Bahamas, valued at $2,200, causing the host to joke. You could buy the Bahamas with the money you've won. <laughs> this brought Larson's total to $110,000, and he had to earn two spins to work with. He passed them to the other player, who failed to earn any additional spins, and won a few thousand dollars. At the end of the episode, Tamarkin asked Larson why he decided not to pass his remaining spins before he did, considering the lead he rapidly gained. Sidestepping over how he had won the game, he responded with two things. One, it felt right, and second, I still had seven spins. And I passed them, somebody could have done what I did. So his total prizes were $100,000 in cash, a sailboat, a trip to Kauai, and a trip to the Bahamas. Fucking hell. So the thing is, though, $100,000 on a boat is a fucking good day, isn't it? It is, yeah. Better than we a gay bad cat. I know. So we have here episode length. Each episode of Press Your Luck was 30 minutes in length, and prior to last experience, it never needed to straddle games or stop play <laughs> during a match. 
Um, however, Larson's streak of hitting his marks every time straight to the length of the episode well past the usual 30 minutes, and producers were unsure of how to proceed. While the entire episode was recorded in one shot, the production staff decided it would need to be split up for airing. I love the idea that it just ends on the cliffhanger of this man is racking up so This man, it, that's what he did. They ended on like it fading to black of like to be continued. <laughs> we're back and here? we're still spinning. Yeah, accusations of cheating. While Larson was running up the score, the show's producers contacted Michael Brockman, the then head of CBS's uh, daytime programming. In a 1994 TV Guide interview commemorating the Larson Sweep, conducted at the time, the film quiz show was released and he recalled something was very wrong. Here's this guy from nowhere and he was hitting the bonus box every time. It was Bedlam. I can tell you when we couldn't stop this guy. He kept going around the board and hitting that box. <laughs> the producers uh, met to review the video, take the notes that Larson would immediately celebrate after many of his spins. Instead of waiting a fraction of a second it would take for a contestant to see and respond to the space they had stopped on, effectively showing that he knew he was going to win. Mm, yeah. Which does look here, like, a lot like cheating, but then I guess... It does. If he knows that he's nailed timing. And that's the thing. It's not cheating, Lucas. How is it cheating to have memorised the pattern? This is the same argument you have with, like, um, casinos and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where counting cards is not against the rules of any casino. You will be asked to leave if you are caught counting cards, but it's not illegal. Yeah. Because it's you. all it is is you are just remembering what cards have been played. And then you're not actually cheating. You are just... Remembering what cards have been played and working off better odds because you you're remembering how many odds you like you've got in yeah, your base. It's just like simple statistics at a certain point, and it is not against the rules to do that. But you will be asked to leave by the casino because they know that if you can count cards, you're going to like, statistically you're more you're going to win. Yeah, and then a lot of people will count cards and place low bets until they hit, like, a certain threshold and then go all in on one giant fucking win. Yeah, but that's the thing, though, with, like, counting cards. Like, it's not against the rules. It's explicitly not because, like, there's nothing that you're doing that breaks the rules. You're not, you're not like... You don't know what card's coming next. You just have a very good idea of statistically what the value of the next card's going to be. Mm -hmm. yeah. Anyway, it says here that at first, CBS refused to pay Larson, considering him a cheater. However, Brockman and the Proofs could not find a clause... It is in the game's rules with which to disqualify him, largely because the board had been constructed with these patterns from the beginning of the series and the network complied. Because he had surpassed the winning cap at the time of $25,000, he was not allowed to return for the next show. I'm not surprised. After the, uh, it says here that after the broadcast of his two episodes, CBS suppressed the episode for 19 years. Oh my God. As they considered the incident to be one of their biggest embarrassments. They um, just show after, it the one time and go, never yeah. again. When USA Network and later the Game Show Network bought the rights to Press Your Lot reruns, CBS and Carruthers insisted that the last episode was not aired. <laughs> uh, isn't that so fucking good? Just the idea these guys are like, dun, 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 dun. Oh, God. And that's my favourite thing about that. Like, that they're saying you're cheating. It's like, is it cheating to remember... Mm -hmm. how is it cheating to remember it's just I noticed you had a very flawed system if someone took the time and effort to learn this thing and there it is and they did they paid him out that's what we were just talking about where like technically nothing he did was against the rules but it's against the spirit of the game yeah yeah and they paid him out and then um, listed what I didn't mention in that Wikipedia article they immediately changed the pattern of the board and randomised it of course 
Because <laughs> of course you are. Because why? You've got to. <laughs> but that's the thing. That's why I think, like, you let the first person get away with it. You say, you know what? Well done, you. You figured it out. You get your prize. We're never doing that again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but Luke, I'm going to take a quick bathroom break now. But, um, yeah, because I, I drank an entire pot of coffee before I came out. But can you give me some minute? Yeah, yeah. So I apologise about that, Lucas. And uh, following on from the story of like legend Michael Larson, is there any like loopholes in your life you're taking advantage of, or are you aware of someone um, taking care, of, taking advantage of a loophole? I should say. Um, I, I love these stories, and I always like to ask about them. Taking advantage of a loophole? Or is there a loophole that you found or discovered? Um, so there's a couple more stories we could talk about um, uh, if, if you need a moment to think. So I probably should have asked that before I went to the bathroom. Yeah, maybe. I mean, the only one that comes to, to mind off the top of my head in my own personal life is just subscribing to myself via Amazon Prime every month to, like, lessen the cost of Amazon Prime. <laughs> yeah, that's a really smart way of doing it, isn't it? Just you Basically, just if you subscribe to yourself on Twitch via Amazon, you're essentially giving yourself, like, three quid off Amazon Prime. Yeah, just do that once a month and you just save yourself a few quid off your Amazon Prime subscription. Yeah, that's a pretty good tip for anyone out there listening. Like, that's not against um, Amazon's terms of service. Anything like that, is it? It's not like. Uh, no, as far as I'm aware, not. And just, it's one of those of it's such a niche thing because you have to be like an affiliate on Twitch to do it anyway. Yeah, so if there's anyone out there listening who's happened to get to affiliate on Twitch just and you've got an Amazon Prime account, subscribe to yourself. Get your money. There you go. But, um, a story that springs to mind for me, it was, um, it's very British, this story. Mm. And I might not get the details exactly right because it's a pretty obscure story so i've never been able to find like the details of it for a fact themed video but um, a couple of years ago there was like a pg tips giveaway and the giveaway was essentially just a scratch card on a like three by three grid and uh, the game was if you can scratch off three cups of tea you win like 20 quid or something like that okay yeah and a mathematician quickly realized like well they're never going to print a unique pattern for every single box of tea also, um, like if you're a company, you're not going to print like a million different boxes. You're probably going to print 50, if mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So if I buy enough boxes of tea and scratch off every single one, I will quickly be able to get an idea of like the, you know, the set game boards that exist out there. Mm-hmm. And from that information, I will be able to like write an algorithm that will basically just tell me if I scratch a specific square and it's a cup of tea or not which other ones I can scratch off to win. Right, yeah, yeah. And he basically, because I think it's like the rules where you can have like one not uncovered or something like that. You can make like one mistake or something silly like that. So he basically went out there and went, okay, so I can effectively guarantee that every single time I buy one of these boxes of tea, I can win £20 every single time. <laughs> and just won hundreds and hundreds of pounds. Oh, man. Just sending in these boxes of tea. It was like that again that guy didn't break the rules but he deserves that money yeah yeah totally so, so the guy uh, we got all the air mail we've talked about them today I found out wrote an article about it mm-hmm. where um, there was like a thing of like oh every time you buy some pudding you get an air mile or something like that it was like um, air miles per buying um, specific products in a store it was, and then he found a store that was selling like three pudding cups which each had an air mile voucher on them for like one dollar or something like that and he went out and bought two and a half thousand dollars worth <laughs> um, which technically entitled him to like 500,000 air miles or some ridiculous figure but then he donated all the pudding to the local Salvation Army Yeah. so he got a tax write off as well so it effectively paid like $500 in total after all taxes and stuff were taken into account and he's flown free for his entire life he's never paid for a flight since 
I know someone who did something similar just with a bunch of chocolate bars. Okay. Um, And it was one of these silly promotions like years and years ago for Easter where it was like, if you collect this many um, you know, you know, vouchers or whatever from <laughs> the boxes of your Easter eggs, you can okay. like, send it in and get a chocolate bar for like three vouchers or whatever it is. I'm not sure because I didn't do it myself. Um, but they, the day after Easter, just went and got every single Easter egg for like a penny. Oh, when they get rid of all the Easter eggs. And they just didn't give a crap, just gave their Easter eggs all away. Hence why I know about this, because I just got an Easter egg off them. Mm-hmm. And then they just took all the vouchers and went and got a bunch of chocolate bars for 3p instead of a quid. That's really good. That's a really good idea. Oh, man, the thing is, I love shit like that because the person, when they're doing it, looks insane. Mm-hmm. Do you know... When you're a kid and you have those math problems of like, Sanjeev has got 400 <laughs> watermelons or something like that. And he gives away 20. And you think, we're never going to encounter a person like that in real life. Like, who the fuck is walking around with like 80 like melons or some shit? <laughs> and then like, you just think, adult life, yeah, that, they're the people that you're worried about. Because like, it's one of those things on the internet of just people say, when do you ever encounter one of these scenarios in real life? It's like, well, people who actually paid attention in math they figure it out. They encounter that all the time because they're the people who do shit like that. Because mm-hmm. they run the numbers in their head. They get their invisible abacuses out <laughs> and figure out like you know, the cost investment return. And like, I can get a shit ton of chocolate out of this. Yeah. And to say, you know, for every Easter egg that they bought for like, a few pennies, that's saving them so much money on chocolate. Yeah. And obviously, I'm aware that the caveat is they would never would have bought that many chocolate bars in the first place. However, when you've got an opportunity to get 40 chocolate bars for a couple of quid, why not? Yeah, like you've effectively got chocolate for the rest of the year for a few pounds mm-hmm. and a bit of time, like, you know, an afternoon of your time. And you become like everyone's favorite auntie by just giving away like 50 Easter eggs. Yeah, you've just gone and made friends with everyone. Like, take a couple of Easter eggs, it's fine. How many mugs do you think they ended up with? Because <laughs> that's the thing, I don't really like Easter eggs, but I fucking love Easter eggs when they come with a mug. Oh, it's the yeah. only time I ever tempt because I don't eat much chocolate. But when an Easter egg comes with a mug, then I'm tempted. I always then I'm tempted to get the Easter egg because I want that fucking mug. Because then you you turn around and a lot of them are, well, here's five pound Easter egg for a mug and an Easter egg. So, so you're telling me that this small little mug is I, I'm only paying three four quid for it? Yeah, why not? Yeah, because I think mean, mugs cost quite a bit of money, especially like you no. Know, Go on then, what was your favourite mug as a kid? Because I think every British person has a favourite mug. Did you ever end up wearing, like, specifically, what was your favourite mug that you got for free? Ooh, for free, That's when You can't sure. just say a mug you bought, I just mean for free, like, I have an Easter egg or something like that. I think it was um, a dairy milk one. I got a dairy milk uh, mug, but it was one of those, like, not triangular, but it's, like, angled upwards, so the base of the mug's very shallow, but the top of it's very wide. Ah, uh, Okay. And it made really good tea because that I remember because the tea bag would fit perfectly on the bottom of the mug and then I'd pile like a little bit of sugar on it. And it just, for some reason, tea always tastes better out of that mug. And I don't know what it is. It must be psychological because it had a chocolate bar on the side. Yeah. So it made it taste sweeter. I don't know. I did enjoy um, having one that was just a licorice all sorts one I had in uni. Mm-hmm. And it was just really big. It was really stupid looking because it was the shape of a couple of um, licorice all sorts just stacked on top of each other. Yeah. But this thing could hold like a litre and a half in it. 
that's what you need in it. Because I've got a mug like the office people have probably seen it cameo in a few fact fiend videos. It's just a giant mug that says on it, when God made me, he was showing off, <laughs> which was a present from my mum, who knows I like drinking tea. And it's got me a giant ass mug. It's like, it's really good because just when I'm editing, I'll just make a tea in that mug and I've got tea for like an hour and a half. Oh God. And it's fantastic. Like, that's the thing. Like, and I'd say that mugs and socks are the one present I can never get enough of. <laughs> I adore mugs and I love getting socks. I love, I think I've talked on the podcast before, I change my socks three times a day because I love the feeling of wearing fresh socks. Oh, God. Well, like, I love it that much. It's always that that joke, isn't it, of, oh, well, when you become an adult, you just get socks for Christmas and birthday. I fucking love socks. But I like getting new socks. New socks feel nice on my feet. Like, who doesn't like the feeling of a fresh-ass pair of socks? Plus... The only people who don't wear fresh socks. You know... Yeah, that I like to get stupid looking socks and match them oddly and stuff and get a bunch yeah. of different, you know, I've got like video game ones and I just wear them all randomly and stuff. It's fun. Hell goddamn yeah. It's like I um, I love socks and I've never understood the shitting on of getting socks because socks are awesome. It's nice big fluffy winter socks. I don't wear winter socks. I'm not, I don't like that. I don't like socks that make it feel weird when I put my shoes on. Well, no, they're like they're like, or, you know, house socks. Yeah, like slippers. No, I wear and slippers. Stuff. I don't wear slippers. I wear slippers. And my slippers always, like, you've seen them out in the big one, but like bare feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love those ones because I thought they were pretty common. But every time someone sees me wearing them, like, those slippers are great. It's like, I thought everyone had, why would you wear boring slippers when you can have ones that make your feet like giant bear claws? Yeah, I did think they were quite common, to be honest. And like, the reason I love them as well is because like every time my girlfriend sat on the sofa, I was like, go home and like, rawr. <laughs> just everything she fucking hates it just Keith David it never it. stops it never ever stops being funny which they are but like rawr but you know what we're talking about game shows because is there a game show that you wanted to go on and are like sad that you'll never get to go on um, one that I would like or would like to I've not I don't know whether this exists or not because I don't watch Russell TV anymore Mm-hmm. I would have quite liked to go on Deal or No Deal just because it's all about statistics and I really like statistics. Oh man, Deal or No Deal is one of those shows where it highlights just people's inability to process simple statistics. It shows why like you need to learn math in school. Do you know you always give say, when will I ever use this in real life? Mm-hmm. That show proves it. Yeah. Um, because it is, have we talked about the Monty Hall problem before? Because Deal or No Deal is essentially a bigger version of that we have but i'm not sure whether it was on a podcast or not or in a video yeah i believe we mentioned it in a video um, when we were discussing um uh uh, maureline voss savant when she wrote about the monty hall problem and uh, the monty hall problem for people who don't know is um similar it's inspired by a game show the monty hall show where people would have uh, a choice between one of three doors Mm -hmm. and behind one of the doors would be like a fabulous prize usually a car and the other two doors had a goat and the Monty Hall problem posits that if you are if you pick door number one, and the host shows you that there is a goat behind door number two, um, are you statistically better off to switch to pick door number three? And the answer is yes, you are, um, because your chance imp- your chance of winning goes from one third to one half. No, it's two thirds. To two thirds, sorry. Because um, the 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 Monty Hall problem is like. Because you've got two doors, it doesn't make it a 50-50 anymore. No. You still pick the door when you had a one in three chance. 
which means yes. the other two doors combined have a two in three chance of winning. Yeah, so when you know that there's only one door left, you know that door therefore inherits the two thirds between that pair. Yeah, and it is a statistical uh, problem that is one very easy to visualize, but very difficult for a lot of people to understand. Because like uh, you can work this out on a uh, with a pad and pencil, mm -hmm. and you can show it just like a couple of a uh, couple of not even minutes, like in one minute, you can just show all the different um, uh, ways that scenario can play out. And you can just highlight, well, here's where you win, here's where you lose. You win more times if you switch. And you can even do something as simple as the cup and ball problem 10 times to somebody to show you. Yeah. Like, in a realistic way, in person, just how this works out. It's such a simple thing to to show, to explain, and there's so many you know, YouTube videos and um, articles written about it and stuff, and yet people still seem to insist that it's a 50-50 chance you shouldn't switch. Yeah, because they know. They know that it's 50-50, even though statistically it's not. And uh, Deal or No Deal, I believe it exists in the United States, maybe with the same name, maybe I not. I think so, yeah. It's essentially just a bigger version of the problem where there is, is it 21 boxes? 24. I want to say. 24 boxes, one of which contains $100,000 hundred thousand pounds to say, um, one of which contains one pound. And I think it goes from one penny to two hundred fifty thousand pounds over here. I it depends on like you know the season and how Maybe, it's been yeah. the prize went up over the years and the uh, but uh, and then there's a smattering of prizes in between. But realistically, you want to get the the big score. And the game is essentially you pick boxes at random until you're left with one box and your own box. Mm -hmm. And like. Uh, in that situation, you are still better off to always... If there is like a big prize left, if there's a big prize and a little prize left, you are better off picking the other box. And even if... Um, you know, because obviously beforehand, it's got that the gimmick of the banker will call you and start giving you offers on your box to take. And then it's all about yes. realising the statistics of, well, what are the statistics that I have any of these numbers compared to... Yeah the amount of boxes that are under and over the offer that I'm getting at the moment. Yeah, and you know for a fact that the banker, like, I believe it is a real person. It is a person mm -hmm. and there is a voice at the end of that line. Yeah. But um, they have a couple of people in their ear who just basically they do on the fly do calculations to work out what's the amount we can offer to us to make money. But also the banker is empowered to make joke offers, which I love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when the banker will offer them 10 pence as a piss take because they are sitting there and going i know how to mentally play this person mm -hmm. i'm just gonna offer them 10p because i think they've got no chance and they're not gonna figure this out because they're going to get really hot-headed and they're gonna plow ahead and they're gonna get to the end and they're gonna get rid of all their prizes mm -hmm. and walk away with like 100 pounds yep and that shows and amazing i, and I really i really love and hate those moments though where somebody cockily declines the offer and is like no no way next bot they open up two hundred fifty thousand, and then the next offer comes off. in. the banker just calls back and is like well then <laughs> that is the moment's hangover television <laughs> uh, there is no moment sweeter than when you're hung over on the couch after a really heavy night and you're just watching some deal or no deal and you get that dickhead on and you're all there like <laughs> just losing your shit it's like when you watch deal or no deal when you're just like, you're like, you're hung over and everyone just losing money. And it's like, yeah, get wrecked. Oh, God. I'll tell you the show I want to go on. Go on. And I've learned more about this show 
um, in recent um, uh, in the recent weeks, and that is Takeshi's Castle. Is that still around in any kind of fashion? I'm not sure if it's still going. Let's double check if Takeshi's Castle is still going. But do you remember, like, describe Takeshi's Castle as it aired over here. Um, So Takeshi's Castle, when it originally aired back in, I believe, like the 90s or the early noughties, mm-hmm. is just 100 contestants enter um, a Japanese game show every every mm-hmm. episode, and they whittle their way through a series of mini-games. Um. Mm-hmm to the final showdown against Takeshi and his castle guards. And then they have a either laser tag or water fight in little yeah. go-karts in front of the castle to win the prize. So, Lucas, I'm about to blow your fucking mind right now. It only aired for four years. Man. Is that, is is that, that I just re- back in the day, though? Because Jonathan Ross also did some uh, voiceover for like, newer ones, I believe. Uh, they revived it in the 2005. So it was going for four years and then got revived later. Uh, they no, so like a, no, a special live revival. That's it. And they just, maybe they just did. Maybe they re-released it oh, and they just had... redid voiceover or something. Maybe, yeah. But that show was, I always thought it looked so fucking fun. Uh, it looked so yes fun. Yes and no. It looked like you could just brutalize yourself in it as well. Oh, absolutely, yeah, but it looks so much fun. And the thing I found out is, because my girlfriend being Japanese, was like, wait, what? You know about that show? I'm like, yeah, I know about that show. It was on the UK, and I forgot how fucking racist the British version is. What? Um, isn't it Craig Charles? It's Craig Charles, yeah, and the um, commentary is fucking racist. Oh, really? Oh, I, you know, mate. Like, I, within 30 seconds of it being on the air, was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I forgot. I didn't realise. I was like, you know, 10 when I watched mm-hmm. this. It was 10, and it was just funny <clears throat> to watch people get smacked about in minigames. Like, just the way he's talking about people. But the thing that surprised me is when I watched like an original like, an original airing, the original episodes were 47 minutes long. Oh, really? They were like, they were like nearly an hour, so for an hour of television. Mm-hmm. And they had a storyline. Wait, what? There is, like, do you like Count Takeshi? He's an actual character played by uh, Beat Takeshi. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people don't know he's like the guy from Battle Royale. Uh, that's probably what probably most people would know him from. Right, yeah. Like, really famous um, uh, Japanese comedian actor. Like, and he, they have like a storyline with skits about him challenging oh, people to go into the castle, and all the games have set up. I didn't. I didn't remember that. Yeah, that's because it wasn't in our version. Oh right, okay. So that was only it, it in the, got, the original Japanese version, right? Yeah, it got edited down to like um, uh, twenty-two minutes or whatever for half an so hour. They just cut all that shit out for hours. Yeah. And I just always thought that looks so fun. And to anyone that is wondering, uh, they still can't picture it in their head, just think of the video game Fall Guys. Fall Guys yeah, is essentially what... Takeshi's Castle made into a video game. Yeah, and... Uh, oh, man. I'm just trying to try to find what he's called in the British version. Because they changed the names as well. Of like, uh, they call it something else. What is it? Surely you still version. count Takeshi, because it was Takeshi's still... Castle. Yeah, he still counts Takeshi, but they changed his name. Let's have a look at this format the broadcast no they didn't change the names they haven't got like the list of what they call people right yeah but uh yeah i i forgot like the intro as well where it's just like the faux anime style with people going like whoa and you're like oh my god oh god yeah Yeah, i remember that yeah and it's like oh oh that is bad but i i just always wanted to go on that show i was really upset to find out it's not on the air anymore as a kid, yeah, I thought Takeshi's Castle would be 
a hilarious thing to go and do. Um, and, and then and you watch, they... is it skipping stones? Oh, the ankle annihilator. <laughs> the, just the leg destroyer. That's the sh- the old shin rattler. Because yeah. people on that just fucking, they get their ass handed to them. And skipping stones, for anyone that doesn't know, is the premises you get from one side of this you know, river, I suppose, to the other. Um, jumping mm. over rock platforms, but a lot of them were fake platforms that would sink. So there is a path across it, but they don't clean it between contestants going across it. So if you're like the 30th person to try and cross it that day, it is piss wet through. Yeah, these these fake stones are just covered in water. And a lot of the people who get through, the tactic is just run as fast as you can because if your balance get knocked off by a fake one you might have time to bounce back and recover yeah and you always have those amazing moments where you'll have like just a, like a girl who's like 18 years old something like that and she's really nervous and she'll jump on one and it just sinks into yeah. the water and she just doesn't move she just sinks she just accepts it she's like no because that's the thing if you if you hit that thing running just full pelt you might you not sink off that one stone, but if you go really slowly, that's all that happens. It's just, you have to just accept your fate. And one of the things I liked about that show is uh, watching some of the episodes in the Japanese, like, they let people off with a lot of stuff. Like, we're speaking about loopholes and stuff like mm. that, where some of those games, people clearly cheat to get through those games, but they're let off with it because it's just funny. Like, do you remember, like, the maze one? The maze like one walk- was great when people would start trying to. Climb, climb around the yeah. or climb on top of the maze and just jump over it. So it's like, uh, it's, it's just a maze. What the, the twist is, is that um, some of the exits just lead to a big pool of water. And there are people in the maze who have got to catch you. If they catch you, they'll throw you into the water. But there are people in the episode who fight them off yeah, yeah. or get thrown into the water, but manage to hang on to the side of the thing. Like, like, like a Royal Rumble. I always and, like, climbed. loved the ones as well where people will hide behind the door frame and the, the <laughs> guards will run through and then they just sneak behind the guards and bail out. And that's allowed because, you know, it's technically not against the rules. Mm-hmm. And you'll have, like, people helping each other over the thing. And that's, again, not against the rules. Oh, and, yeah. like, some of the ones they have, like, the, uh, the sumo battles they'll sometimes have. The sumo and, battles like, you got are great, yeah. Where you pull, like, uh, a coloured ball out of a box and the colour you get depends on the um, the person you got to fight. So, and sometimes they'll just let you win. Sometimes it could be that you pull out, I don't know, like the yellow ball and it's a guy in a giant costume that can't move properly so you just nudge them over. But other times it's an actual sumo wrestler and they just throw you away. Yeah, and some of the, I've seen one like the one that made me giggle. It's like a lady gets like the sumo wrestler mm. and she's like shit like they have to like drag her into the ring and she's like, <laughs> he just goes and she just like cowers in fear and he feels so bad he steps out of the ring and lets her win it's like oh it's just it looks so fun oh it really does and just well riding around those little cars at the end i will say um the one that the other one that never looked fun though was um the one on the rope bridge where they shoot like leather balls at you Oh, the footballs. The leather footballs at you. But when you are down and trying to get back up, they will annihilate you. And they will just hit you over and over again. 
launching these leather footballs at you yeah. until you just break and fall. Lucas, I've just discovered, like, in the... Ja- I was looking at, like, the cast for the Japanese version. Did you know Ultraman turns up in the Japanese version? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Ultraman! What? He says here, he appeared on the show on many occasions. Uh, oh, especially the kids-only specials where he would help the children. Oh, do they get Did children they to, like, do skipping stones and ruin the legs for the rest of life? I, I think they did, like, special... Ch- I think the kids' ones, they help them through. Yeah, yeah, of course. Because, like, um, uh, General Quintano, um, I think it's his name is. Is he, like, the guy... It's General Tani in um, uh, the original Japanese version, but I think it was Quintano in the English version. Okay. Like, you know, the guy in the white suit, he'd help people and he'd help the children. Oh, yeah, but yeah. The idea that they could call in Ultraman for the assist... <laughs> That's amazing. And the one thing that I, I want to bring up again, which we might, again, it's hard to remember whether we talked about on the podcast or not. But Oh, sorry, General Lee. It was called oh, General, General Lee, Lee in, the, um, in the Japanese version. Um, oh, in the English version. And Count Takeshi in um, uh, the English version instead of Pete Takeshi. But yeah, it's just the, the fact that I'm, I can't fact check, but the one that went round not long ago of just more people have landed on the moon than beaten Takeshi's castle. I believe Takeshi, that. No, mate, no one beats Takeshi's castle. No I remember I watched an episode once where you win, and I distinctly recall this, and I hope to God it's not me misremembering or getting confused with the game shows. I'm pretty sure when they win, they open the door to Takeshi's castle, and there's like 18 speedboats in there because <laughs> they just carry the prize over. And I never correct me if I'm wrong about that, and I'm remembering another show because in my head, if you won Takeshi's castle, you've got 18 speedboats. And it was always that thing of you would get the the one, two, three, four people out of yeah. 100 get to the end, and it's like them in the tiny little go kart with the tiny pea shooter water shooters. Yeah. And then. Oh. Takeshi would rock up with his dozen people, all with actual, like, super soaker ones, and just annihilate yeah. them all. Oh, they're so fucking good. And I think the uh, modern equivalent is Total Wipeout. Yeah, probably. And Total Wipeout, I, it's, that is as close as we're going to get to dystopian television. That's the closest we're going to get to the modern Colosseum. Because the British version is very different to the American version. Have you ever seen the American version of Total Wipeout? Um, I might have seen clips of it, but I don't think I've sat down and watched much of it now. Just the American version, they just want to kill people. Oh. Because, like, some of the challenges in the British one, like, they're difficult. Like, you know, they have, like, the, the whiffle bats going around in circles and stuff like yeah. that. And you have, like, the wall where stuff will pop out and knock you over. Mm-hmm. In the American version, there's no way you can get through some of those stages without being hit. Like, there is no way to skillfully avoid right. any of those challenges. And they're, like, compilations online, and people get fucking annihilated. <laughs> <laughs> like so, like they look so bad, and I just checked as well. There is a section that says um, uh, uh, on um, uh, Takeshi's castle, mm. uh, they initially published a list of injuries as for fun to like give people like, to make it seem more dangerous. But when they were pressed to provide um, uh, um, evidence of this, uh, no one really got injured. Like people, like you know, got some scraped knees. They may like you know bumped head. Nobody got injured. Oh really? Yeah, no one really... There were no serious injuries or deaths because I, I think it was in response to people saying people died on the show. Ah, uh, right, okay. They were like, we can't... No, no one died. Like, some, you know, some bruises, some bumps. Like, no one got seriously injured. It's all a bit of fun. Yeah, you really can't let that sit and fester as a rumour, can you? 
And do you know what I think like the ultimate combination of like um, Takeshi's Castle and Total Wipeout is? And it's got to be fucking Ninja Warrior. Oh yeah, I love Ninja Warrior. Do you know what it's called in Japan? I think I've heard this before, but go on. Sasuke. Which is just Japanese for ninja. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> yeah. It's just Japanese for ninja. So remember um, you did on the podcast mention once about the uh, the monkey that they just let, or the chimp that they let loose on the Ninja Warrior course that just aced it, it. It just, it fucking annihilated and no one can beat it. The chimp just wins like so casual. It's this casual ass chimp win. But the reason I love Ninja Warrior is because like the American version is like so pussified compared to the Japanese. Like, is, the Japanese yeah. version, like, fuck you. If you, you've got to be a ninja warrior to pull this shit off. And like, I distinctly recall an episode where it is torrential rain. And the final challenge is to spider walk up a like yeah. clear plastic wall. As it slowly and separates. And it's like completely it's raining. It's completely and then it's like, do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like no, no, just do it. And the thing is, those people go for it. No, they do, but they train all year. Yeah. So the American version, the reason I don't like the American version is, is because they do like the typical American game show thing of give everybody a sob story. Mm. And they do the thing of like, yeah, um, I've been, you know, I after an injury I had, I trained and I came back. I'm a firefighter. It's like, no, I don't give a fuck what you do for a living. Do the Ninja Warrior course. That was That's why I'm here. to Ultimate Beastmaster as well on Netflix, which... I hated that show. I I put up with that show. I just enjoy watching the um, obstacle course bars, but I also enjoy seeing Terry Crews do his thing. Yeah, but it's just that when they have, like, the sob story, it's like, I don't care. Yeah, every single time there's a new contestant, it pans to... A five-minute montage of, well, this is my dying family that I need to save with this prize money. Yeah, it's not even prize money. It's just like, no, me doing well in this competition will sustain my family. (laughs) It will give us the hope that we need to continue. And that's why I like the Japanese version where it's like, no, fuck you. Fuck, I don't care what you do it. Yeah. And one of the episodes I recall is that was a, a fisherman who built the course in his back garden. Oh. He built it. He built it in his garden. Because a lot of the time you see people have gymnasiums in the back garden which they used to practice, but the idea, no, I'm going to build it up. Yeah, he built the entire thing. And uh, one of the things I like about those shows, like Ultimate Beastmaster and the shows of their ilk, is when you'll always get like the huge bodybuilder. Like, yeah, I'm so fucking tough, I'm the strongest. And they'll fail in like 30 seconds. Especially um, ones where it is like that. It's always, I remember on Ultimate Beastmaster, the people that are really good climbers. Yeah, climbers always win. But it's that um, one of the th- reasons I like the show is because it highlights what different types of strength mean. Yes, yeah. Because if you watch those shows, I'd argue somebody who can complete the Ninja Warrior course is fitter than 99.9% of the people on the planet. Like I would argue, if I was going for like aiming for any level of fitness, it'd be the people who can complete those courses. Because they have such a good all-round level of fitness and adaptability, yeah. yeah. And when you watch it and you're like, or watching like Ultimate Beastmaster and have like a bodybuilder on, and it's like, okay, now you, you weigh like 30 stone, can you climb up a wall right now? And can you climb up a wall... Faster than the person that does it every day that weighs half the weight. Yeah. No, I can't. Right then. Can you it's, hold it's your you body the... weight with your arms for three minutes while you're trying to pedal along a bar? No. 
Yeah, and one of the things that I like about it is like, it's just when you see it all coming up and it just goes, okay, so this person's a firefighter, this person's a professional gymnast, <laughs> and he's like, well, I know who's winning this one. And obviously there are... Um, oh, here he is. They've actually got him, they've got him listed as one of the, the Sasuke All-Stars. Oh, really? Uh, Makoto Nagano, a fisherman and fishing boat captain, known for reaching the final stage more than anybody else. That's what I was going to say. There are exceptions to the rules where it's just, well, this guy's a fisherman that fucking brought it. <laughs> because he loves me. He wants to be a ninja warrior. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, God. I love those shows so much. Oh. But bring back Takeshi's castle, Carl. We need to bring it back before Beat Takeshi dies. Because he's still going. Like, what a legend. Oh, man. I love as well. I've got the list of challenges up, and there's so many. Who do we have to get in and contact then... with? I don't know, but my favourite bit is someone, like, uh, folks at home, you need to go onto the list of challenges on Takeshi's Castle Wikipedia page. Because someone's, I'm going to send you just, like, one of the things. People have just made pictures of the challenges on Microsoft fucking Paint and used them as examples. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you see? <laughs> oh, we've got one, look. Someone's just gone in on Microsoft Paint and just, like, here's what the challenges are, look. <laughs> this is incredible. I forgot that one was a mini game. Of, oh, uh, Luca! The, so this one that Carl just sent me was: there's five pits in the ground, and two of them are kill yeah, pits, just, and three of them are. Anything? It's just yes. I like this one. Oh, holding on to that, <laughs> mushroom. that one. The spinning, <laughs> the spinning mushroom. Mu- the spinning mushroom. This is what the Olympics should be. <laughs> Joe and Japan hosted the Olympics. <laughs> I was so pissed off they didn't do an Olympian version of Takeshi's Castle. Or Ninja Warrior. I would watch every part of the Olympics if it was just take all of the Olympians in the world and make them compete in Takeshi Castle Challenges. Well, that's normally what they do, isn't it? They normally um, uh, have something that represents the host country's like cultural contribution. And I think for the Japanese, like you know, it was unfair. No fucker was allowed to go, and they did like mm. a couple of adverts that like, you know they showed like you know Gundams and anime and all that stuff. Mario like, you know, wasn't even in the Japan. opening ceremonies. Ah, I know. Rights issues, baby. Rights issues. But he was one of the... Like, he was used to, like, announce it or something to celebrate yeah. that they got it. Like, where was it's, Pikachu in the 100 minute sprint? I know. And it's 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 a whole other kettle of fish to talk about. But I was so mad they didn't do, like, a special Olympians version of Ninja Warrior. Oh, man. Be so I would have... That'd be amazing. Because they could have done it for charity. Especially, like, don't do it before the competition, obviously, because they might get injured. But after the competition's done, fuck it, let the Olympians take part. If I was an Olympian, I'd want to take part in Ninja Warrior. It sounds awesome. Also, Lucas, I want you to just tell me what you see about this image. I see somebody about to eat so much shit on stepping stones. But Lucas, have you noticed how they're running? They are Naruto running, yeah. <laughs> they're Naruto running! Which oh. means you know that that was drawn by the weebest of weebs. The weebest of weebs, man. Oh my god, ultimate showdown. There's a description. I love it. There's like there's an ultimate showdown. There's a TV show that they could get screen caps of, but instead they just went into bags of paint and poorly drew them up. Yeah, they're like hieroglyphics, don't they? Yeah. Also, as well, I found something out recently that blew my fucking mind. Joe, uh, you know why hieroglyphics look so stupid? No. It's because ancient Egyptians thought that um, if you represented the human body without all of its parts, you'd lose that part in the afterlife. Oh, wow. 
so that's why when you see like um, uh, hieroglyphics and stuff of like emp or uh, pharaohs, mm -hmm. they always like you're just doing the iconic like you know pharaoh pose, because you've got to draw all their limbs to show they had them, otherwise they don't get to keep oh them. Oh my god! And that explains why their artwork looks so shit. Oh my god! I didn't know that. I, I'm so mad that I wh where is Ninja Warrior? Where's Ninja Warrior? Where's like the combination of Ninja Warrior? With what? Where we no? Do you like we get the guys from Takeshi's castle during the costumes chasing people? <laughs> do you like the midway point? If you if make it past an obstacle, you've then got to get past one of the guards. I I want to see you no. Know, oh, do you know, I want to see the skipping stones in Ninja Warrior course. Oh man! And then like you know, uh, Beat Takeshi comes out dressed like Count Takeshi. He comes out. <laughs> General Lee comes out. Oh. Like do it. Do it. Beat it. Oh, man. The best thing about that is when they did the American version, they invited Japanese people over and they just fucking smashed it. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Because you know for the American version, they want American people to win. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I didn't like about the American version as well is they made like some of the things very clearly. These were made so American people could do them better than Japanese people. What? Because they put like, um, uh, like pull-up bars and stuff like that. And it's like all the Japanese competitors are like five foot five. Well, that's one thing I really hated about Ultimate Beastmaster because there were so many times where it was made inherently harder for women that were shorter because no. they just put bars way too high for pe like people under five foot five, as you say, to be able to jump up and grab it. It's like it's, this person is fit enough to complete the course. It's just that the course is designed with a six foot man in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Line. So it's not a proper test of their skills. And like watching the American version and the Japanese will still fucking ace it. Yeah. So, so like, do you remember when they had that like robot battle a couple of years back where there's like that Japanese robot and then the American company made a robot? Oh, yes, yeah. And they were going to fight and it was really disappointing. Mm -hmm. I remember there's an interview with the, um, uh, the team behind the Japanese one and they asked them, so who's going to win? Well, we're going to win. Giant robots are inherently Japanese. Like that's our thing. Mm -hmm. Also... The American robot sucks ass. They built a big thing on wheels and put a gun on it. How American. <laughs> and I just thought that's such a withering dunk because the American team's like, yeah, we're really inspired um, uh, by the Japanese side. Like, no, we wanted to build a robot that, you know, um, made us reminiscent of all the cool robots we saw in their animation as kids. And the Japanese team's like, you just built a gun on wheels. That's so boring. Yeah, it really is. Oh, God. <sighs> And that was so... Uh, um, and did you ever watch that fight, that showdown? No, I didn't. It was really disappointing because you can clearly tell that because the robots cost so much money. They were under strict instructions not to damage each other. To just lightly knock each other about. Yeah, and they crash into each other a little bit. And it's like, if you're going to do this, it needs to be Robo, uh, uh, Robot Wars rules where you don't win until your opponent is at, like completely torn apart. <laughs> or, or thrown completely out the arena. Yeah, that's the only way to win. And when they're doing that as well, they would need to have Sir Kill-A-Lot in, but it's the actual size Sir Kill-A-Lot. <laughs> Just four-foot-tall Sir Kill-A-Lot trying to cope. <laughs> Do you remember that episode where that guy just attacked all the house robots? No. Do you remember that no. one? Just before we go, we need to describe, like, describe Robot Wars for people maybe aren't familiar with it, like America's listening. It's like similar to BattleBots and stuff, but there was a, a very specific twist, which was the house robots. Yeah, so the house robots would be thrown into matches and they would essentially have their territories in the corner of the arena 
And yes. if um if one of the actual competitors went into that zone area, that zone of house supremacy, the house robot yes. was then allowed to just go ham and attack that robot. Yeah, and the house robots were they were we've talked something about cheating mm-hmm. and building stuff like you know against the regulations and the spirit of the game. The house robots were fucking ridiculous. Yeah, because you can tell that they didn't have to stick to the weight limit and the build costs and stuff like that. Yeah, because I've got the um, the list, uh, the Wikipedia page from here. It's like, throughout the series, house robots acted as obstacles to competing robots in battles and challenges. House robots were pitted to attack robots that were in the corner of patrol zones, at the corners of the arena, or upon the submission of a competing robot. Because they'd come in and kill the robot that had failed. Oh, yeah, like, you know, because if, if a robot had started to fail, the house robots just come in and annihilate it. Tear, they tear it apart, yeah. The house robots were an intrinsic part of the program's success, and merchandising was highly successful. Furthermore, the house robots were not subject to the 100 kilo weight limit or weapon rules that contestant robots had to adhere to the most notable exception being sergeant basher's flamethrower <laughs> and one of the things that i remember so we've got a list of them here we've got like dead metal who's my favorite mm. who's like a big scorpion and instead of a stinger out of um, a saw matilda which is like a dog like a bulldog with a chainsaw for a tail mm-hmm. there was um uh, sergeant bash who had the flamethrower on his back Shunt, which was amazing, because it was just like the one that had the giant pickaxe on the front, like a full-size <laughs> pickaxe. And then the legend that is, Sir Killalot, who had the jaws of life oh, God. strapped to it. Yeah. Like, the, the other things that can cut through a car door then. Mm-hmm. And there was an episode that I distinctly recall, because there was, I think it was um, one of the spinning robots, because I think one of the things about Robot Wars that very quickly became apparent is that Everything except spinning sucks ass. Yeah, and I believe was it hit no disc that just tore things apart for a good season yeah, no- or two or something. Like nothing could be hypno disc. Like hypno disc just had a rotating spinner on the front that went like nine thousand RPM. It just destroyed everything. Mm-hmm. Like every other weapon paled in um, utility to the like, to just the spinning wheel of death or the flipper, which is my favourite one. Because <laughs> the flipper is what I love so much because it did it only won. By just you just turn the other robot upside down, yeah. and the the beauty of a flipper robot is that when it was itself turned upside down, it could use its flipper to flip back up. And there was one of the flippers that just it kept attacking because it was so good. It's like I think it had the most powerful flipper ever seen up to that mm. point. It was just tossing robots out of the arena left and right, <laughs> and it went and it attacked all the house robots, including Sir Killalot, which it tipped over and he fell over. <laughs> And one of the reasons I remember watching that series because you can tell that the house robots were built by fucking nerds. Yes, yeah. And they were built by nerds who did not like the idea that they were losing to robots that weren't cheating like they were. Like Even though they had robots that were on paper better in every way than the robots that were competing, were still getting their ass handed to them. <laughs> and you see the house robots just go for this flipper bot. It's like, bring it on, come on! <laughs> it's fucking great. Oh, I love robot fights. But just the idea. He says here as well that in Series 8, new versions of Matilda, Shunt, and Sakilalot were constructed. They were considerably heavier. All the house robots were over 300 kilos, and Sakilalot weighs nearly 700. 700 kilos. And I think that's in response to people repeatedly flipping him over. Because <laughs> it did look... It, it was so funny, because yeah. you know the people who made those robots will get really salty about oh, that. Oh, yeah, you can imagine. Because why would you not? Why would you not just attack Sakilalot? 
go straight for the jugular. Just you can't do it. Go, go for the biggest guy in the yard. <laughs> That's intimidation oh, tactics one hundred and one. I fucking love to kill that. Just the idea of attacking him. Oh god. Oh, that was it. Chaos two. Do you remember chaos? That was the flipper. Oh, so it says right, here that yeah. uh, it's just like list of ones that won, and you've got chaos, razor, and spin doctor. <laughs> and it's like you know, it says like the winner of each series: chaos one, series three, series four. Um, then it was like razor, then chaos came back. It's like fucking hell. Yeah. Oh man, I miss it. Love it. It's, things it, it's still back, but it's not the same because. They made it so that the house robots can't lose. Right, yeah. And I don't like that. I don't like that they wouldn't play within the rules of the series. Like even in the first series, at least like they were only pushing it a little bit. When you're sending in a robot that weighs nearly half a ton. When you're weighing seven times what the actual contestants are weighing. It just feels unfair, doesn't mm-hmm. it? And it also means you get less opportunity for stuff like that to happen, for like, you know, robots to get cocky and say, you know what, fuck it, I'm just going to attack the house robots, see what happens. I want to see what new circular looks like. Oh my god, yeah, it was so big. (laughs) I want to see, I've I've not seen circular, what's new circular look like? Like, you just need to say series. Oh my god. Oh my god, that looks like a fucking Cylon from Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> Not even like Jesus. the Jaws of Life on it anymore, it's just they're, the Jaws of Death. They're the Jaws of... That's yeah. what I said, they're the Jaws of Death right fucking there. Oh man. That's terrifying. That's when you know they just said, fuck it, we want to win. We... Oh my god. Sir Killalot had an album. <laughs> 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 what? What? does a circular lot album sound like? I don't know. I just Google circular. No, it's the Robot Wars album, which features a rap about circular. Oh. But just circular lots on the front of the album. I'm gonna send you a picture of the album. I need to get this and print it off for the office, mate. Oh, I need this fucking album. Look at this shit. <laughs> Circular Lot v Robo Babe Robot Wars Android Love Is that actually a song about and I mean, what, She what is, is literally wearing No, no, it's, no he's credited as vocals It is his song oh, man. Circular yes. Lot is credited on vocals But no, Carl Like, that woman has just got Pure she metal On her But and it's it, designed in a it, way that the meme of what woman armor in RPGs. Lucas, he's got a music video. I'm going to watch oh it right Oh my god, it's got a music video, Carl. Yeah, I'll send you a link. I'm going to send you a link to the music video. I mean, this doesn't anyway. make for good podcasting, watching a music video. You don't. Video. Google it yourself. I need to fast forward it. Oh, man. Oh my god, it's just a robot voice rapping. And it's to kill a lot. Oh my god, this is what definitely is going on there. Lucas, that's the killer lot rapping. <laughs> it's actually just—it's not the robot rapping, but it is circular. No, he's in. Look, if you go fast forward to the two minute mark, he comes to the arena. He's like coming in, attacking the women. Oh my god! He's rapping. It's a rapping robot. Yeah, but oh, I'm, I'm kind a... of gutted that they didn't get 
um, just a late 90s, um, you know, like voice synthesizer. Oh, okay. Rather than it being a person rapping full circle a lot, I wish they'd got a computer to do the rapping. I like as well are the top two comments are why do I feel embarrassed watching this when nobody else is in the room and I could see this winning Eurovision. <laughs> that is why a Eurovision we... song. Lucas, can you imagine if for the next Eurovision we send Sir Killalot as our representative? <laughs> if you don't vote for us, Sir Killalot's fucking coming. You just like you see him rushing the judges' table. <laughs> oh, so we can end it there, but Lucas, you got anything to plug? Because I know what I'm plugging it is Sir Killalot versus Robo Babe. Oh my god. Uh, well, I guess I can just plug my upcoming streams for the week. Cause... So, yeah, because you've got a few coming up, haven't you? People listening on the day of podcast release, that'll yes, be which is a Wednesday. That'll be Thursday, uh, the mm-hmm. 30th September. That night I'll be doing um, some Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door. And then Friday night I think I'm going to do some um, of the Halo beta. Yes, you got access to that. I didn't did, you? yes. And then. Um, I'm unfortunately away the weekend, so I can't play it. Saturday, I will be doing like Mario Kart 8 Deluxe against chat because nobody can beat me at Mario Kart. You are, you have said that a lot. So I'm, I think you are pretty good at Mario Kart from what I've seen a few times we played. I just feel like people then, will come if they think there's going to be a challenge. That's the fact. Also, as well, the more shit you chat, the more satisfying it is for people when they Exactly. Exactly. That's, that's the way I do it. And then for myself, just like my YouTube channel is normal, like Carl Smallwood. Um, which I'm actually in the middle of trying to like transfer to the fact theme brand. Yes, yeah. Oh shit, I didn't I'm, even I'm mention tra- what my stream tag is. No, it's called Legend of Kanto. Legend of Kanto on Twitch.tv. Yes. Yes, uh, but for myself, I've not. Uh, I'm in the middle of transferring it to the fact theme brand just to keep it all under one umbrella. Um, for that, and uh, my stream this week will be just on Friday, probably playing a video game of some sort. I'm not sure yet. And then next week, you're over here in Sheffield again, aren't you, Lucas? I am indeed. Travel conditions um, allowing, and we will be streaming Tuesday and Wednesday. Mm-hmm. They will be big streams, uh, if I recall. Well, Carl, be it'll be the final Smash Bros. character ever revealed for Ultimate. During the day, which... Are we going to stream that or just record it and then try and get it uploaded on the day? Uh, maybe we'll just record it, and then we can react and hopefully play that character over like Tuesday or Wednesday if they do a stealth launch. If they uh, do another stealth launch, but yes, on Tuesday and Wednesday next week, myself and Lucas will just be doing some big streams. And big streams are streams that are announced on the main Fact Theme channel. So we generally get, you know, um, one to 200 people in for the duration. And because there's a couple hundred people in, we'll be having a couple of drinks, you know, celebrating the fact we're able to see each other in person again more regularly. Oh, yeah. Should be a good laugh. So people can tune in for that. Or just go listen to Kill a Lot versus Robo Babe on um, uh, repeat. That is also an option. It, either way, you are just. Um, uh, you're doing what I asked. And you're enjoying, like, you know, a similar level of quality with that. Oh, thank you.